Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, we are breaking down the Timberwolves two-way contract players. In fact, the Wolves have brought back one of their two-way players from last year. Officially, we'll talk about all three two-way contract signees. If any of them could be on the bubble to make the roster at all and could have their spots pushed by some of this year's non-roster invitees to spring to training camp, we'll talk about all that here on the show. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked on Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E medical.com. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy hump day. Hopefully you've had a fantastic week so far. Timberwolves training camp kicks off today, and we're going to talk about the two-way contract signees uh, with the Wolves this year and their roster spots. Uh, A couple of familiar faces and one relatively new face, although we've known he's been on the team now for a little while. So we'll break all that down on the show here today. A big thank you, first of all, for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. Wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app, which can be found on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. More great local sports coverage 24-7 for free. Download the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app today on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at Lockdown T Wolves and also at B Beacon. That's with two B's, two E's, C K E N. All right. So the Timberwolves on Tuesday uh, first was reported by John Krasinski of the Athletic that the Timberwolves would be, or actually, no, I'm sorry. This one was actually reported by Sham Sharania, uh, also of the Athletic, that the Timberwolves would be bringing back Matt Ryan on a two way contract. Of course, Ryan was on a two way deal for much of last year. He was added, I think, in early December last season, a little bit after the season started. So he was not in camp with the Wolves last year. Um, but he was on the roster for most of the season, mostly at the NBA level, didn't play a ton. And we'll, we'll break that down a bit more here in a second. Um, but he'd been the Wolves had issued a qualifying offer to him earlier in the offseason, but he was still out there as a free agent. In fact, he recently had just worked out for the Pelicans, according to John Krasinski. So that spot was still open up until Tuesday when the Wolves eventually did announce later in the day that they did sign him to a two-way contract. Now the Wolves have three two-way players on their roster. This is the first season, by the way, that you can have three. It used to be just two two-way players. And actually, pre-COVID, I think it was just one the first year. Uh, but now we're up to three two-way players, three players that can bounce between the NBA and the G League. And two of them were on two-way contracts with the Wolves last year, Luca Garza and Matt Ryan. And the third was this year's second draft pick, and that's Jalen Clark. And I want to spend some time today talking about... Uh, all three of those guys. And we'll start with Matt Ryan because I want to talk about, first of all, what he did last year and my thoughts on him being on the roster. Uh, And then let's also talk about his prospects to stay on the roster because along with all of this, John Krasinski added a caveat on Twitter, on X, whatever, um, that basically Matt Ryan's spot is not guaranteed, which of course makes sense. He's on a two-way. Remember last year, the Timberwolves started the year with Eric Paschal on a two-way. They kind of, I believe, mutually agreed to part ways and they had another one. Uh, I think it was A.J. Lawson who ended up on the Mavericks and is currently on a two-way with the Mavericks um, and ended up, you know, 
like they, they kind of cycled through some guys early in the season. So this is not like a, a, a you know, set in stone for the year type thing. Um, but anyway, John Krasinski added on Twitter to the Matt Ryan report. He actually makes it sound like Matt Ryan didn't sign a two-way. He says, a point of clarification to here, told that Matt Ryan will compete for the last two-way contract with the other camp invites in training camp, which is interesting because then later in the day, so that made it sound like he was adjusting his reporting to say that that Clark was, or not Clark, excuse me, um, Ryan was being added as a camp invite with a chance to earn the two-way. But later in the day, the NBA's official transaction log reported that the Timberwolves signed Matt Ryan to a two-way deal. So assuming that's correct, and it should be because it's the NBA's official transaction log on NBA.com, Matt Ryan does actually have that third two-way deal, but the Wolves are open to, and I don't know what kind of penalty there is. It's not it can't be the same as like waving a guy with a guaranteed contract where you're on the hook for the salary or, or you know, whatever that is minus their new salary. Um, there's gotta be some sort of penalty. There must be out. Maybe it's the, you know, maybe it's similar to the exhibit 10 signing bonus. You got to pay him, you know, 70 K or whatever, but if there's obviously not a whole lot of risk to it. So for the moment, let's assume that Matt Ryan has that final two way deal. Luca Garza and Jalen Clark being the other two. And we'll talk about Garza and Clark later in the show. So in terms of Matt Ryan's performance last year and his his essentially credentials to have this spot, he's a shooter, right? Like that's what he's known for. That's what he's done. That's what he did with the Lakers early last season when he was, um, you know, he had a couple of really nice games. I think he hit a game winner early in the season last year for the Lakers. And then they eventually waived him. Remember, there was that awkward, he was asked, I think, on national TV uh, or by one of the national reporters in a scrum in the locker room, like, hey, what about this news the Wolves or the Lakers are waving you? And and he was like, yeah, I hadn't heard that yet. Um, that whole thing. And then he ends up with the Wolves. He only plays in, in 22 games in a Timberwolves uniform. So he played in 12 with the Lakers last year, 22 with the Timberwolves. And he played in seven for the Iowa Wolves. At the NBA level, Matt Ryan shot 37% with the Lakers, just a shade under 39% from three. This is uh, with the Timberwolves. And actually played pretty well when he got on the floor early in his stint with the wolves. They tried to use him as like, Hey, we're shorthanded towns is out. We need some floor spacing, you know, get in there and, and, and play well. And he struggled. And then he kind of completely fell out of the rotation. We didn't see, see him for a while. And then he played a bit more towards the end of the season and was better in those stints. And that kind of buoyed his overall numbers and, and everything that you know came out of last year for him. Uh, but my thing with Matt Ryan is he is a shooter. He doesn't do anything else. He's he's a minus defender. He's one of the worst rebounders, probably the worst rebounder on the roster now. The only guys that had lower rebound rates than him last year or take his career rebound rate, uh, which is, again, just 35 NBA games. So really small sample. But like Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers were the only guys that had lower rebound rates last season. And he just that's not his game, right? Like, yeah, he's big. But he's he's on offense. He's on the perimeter. On defense, he's likely on the perimeter. Um, he's six seven, sure, but uh, modest athleticism, modest uh, you know, nose for the ball in terms of rebounding. So the only thing he's really supplying you is is shooting. That said, the problem is he's only thirty seven percent for his career from deep. Again, just thirty five games. So we're talking I mean, what's the grand total? Eighty nine three pointers at the NBA level. So thirty three for eighty nine. That's a painfully small sample. And it's a bit of a catch-22. And I remember saying this last year during the season, too, is it's understandable that for a shooter, you have to play enough to get into a rhythm. But you have to be able to shoot well enough to in order to justify your playing time if you don't do anything else. And and it 
It's tough. It really stinks. But that's the life of somebody who is a sharpshooter, and that's supposed to be their role. You have to shoot when you get on the court. You have to make your shots when you get on the court because the Wolves know he's not providing the value defensively on the glass. Um, he's he's an okay cutter, but like he's not scoring. He's not putting taking money to be off the dribble, right? Um, it, like in some ways, I, he reminds me a little bit of a non-rebounding Juancho Hernan Gomez. And now Juancho is a little bit bigger. You know, Juancho is more like six nine, six ten, more of a four. Matt Ryan's more of a three. Um, but that type of a player where he's not giving you. A whole lot else. Like, he better be able to knock down his threes. Both are good cutters. Wancho is probably a better cutter than Matt Ryan. But that type of a player. Like, if he's not making his threes, then what's the point? And so the Wolves are essentially going to give him training camp to show that, like, hey, and obviously camp's not quite the same, but, like, live action, maybe preseason. I'd love to see him get some run. If he could be in a rhythm and shoot, you know, lights out in training camp at preseason, then he can earn that two-way spot. And he could be valuable during the season because this team doesn't have that guy. Right, they've got a bunch of solid to above average to great in the case of Carl Diddy Towns three point shooters, but they don't have like a specialist where they can essentially have five guys on the floor that are all plus three point shooters be dangerous from everywhere. Like they don't really have that still. Um, that that guy who could come in and and be that sharpshooter. And at times last year, it hurt to not have that role filled. Um, now, uh, to be clear, the bar overall across the roster has been raised dramatically in terms of three-point shooting. Like they added a couple of, of um, league average at worst three-point shooters, depending on, you know, Troy Brown Jr. shot 40% last year, but had never been above like 34 before that. So what's the real number for Troy Brown? But he should be good. Shake Milton's a little better than league average. Mike Conley's a really good catch-and-shoot guy. We know Ant, you know, Ant is up and down and, and the percentage isn't phenomenal, but like he, he can shoot threes. We know that Carl Anthony Towns is awesome from outside the arc. Nas is probably about league average. So basically everyone in your rotation save for, and I know Kyle Anderson shot 41% last year, but from three, but teams are daring him to shoot threes, especially above the break to have another guy that can shoot threes is valuable. And, and, you know, I want to be really clear. That's the only thing Matt Ryan does, and he's got to do it better if he's going to maintain that two way roster spot. We'll get into this a little bit later, but based on John Krasinski's report, some of the guys we talked about on Tuesday's show on the Exhibit 10 deals, the training camp deals, the non-guaranteed deals who are likely to end up in Iowa, could one of them take the Matt Ryan spot? Because his is probably the most tenuous of the three two-way deals at the moment. So we'll get into that later. Next, I want to talk about Luca Garza, expectations for this year, why I don't think he's going to end up in that 15th roster spot, the, the standard spot. I know he's a, I know a lot of fans really like Luca Garza, but I think two-way is his destiny this year. We'll talk about all that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at Jace Medical. Jace Medical provides the Jace case, five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is fill out a simple online form. And in some cases, you might jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. You can get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions. Doctor-created, doctor-recommended. The Jace case is fantastic. I ordered mine a couple weeks ago, and it showed up in like five days. It's got the, the the five antibiotics, as mentioned. And put simply, it's going to make sure that I don't get caught unprepared. We're heading into fall and winter travel season. And especially if you're traveling in the Midwest, the upper Midwest, um, you don't want to be caught unprepared. And by the way, there's tons of other things, you know, I mean pandemic recently, which led to shortages, supply chain issues, um, relying on countries, you know, where we're getting antibiotics from. Put simply, you can avoid being caught unprepared by having the Jace case. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Jace will handle everything from online evaluations to license, licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. 
Jace case is uh, really easy to get. You just go online, fill out a form, and you get your prescription. Again, life-saving medications right to your door. The Jace case gives you peace of mind, so you're not just hoping you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. Get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using my code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. Again, jacemedical.com, code LOCKEDON for $20 off. jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E, medical.com. All right, a big thank you once again for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every single day. Of course, every day, as we are continuing our player preview series, we have a full roster. We're doing all 21 players, I believe, between the standard roster, the three two-way contracts, and the non-roster invite- invitees. We did the non-roster guys on uh, Tuesday's show. Today, we're doing two ways. We'll get into the actual roster. We'll talk about rookie second-year guys uh, tomorrow on Thursday's show. And of course, preseason kicks off in a week, a week from tomorrow, a week from Thursday in Abu Dhabi, the Timberwolves take on the Dallas Mavericks. So looking ahead to that. Um, and also we'll, I'll fill everybody in here soon on the plan this year for postcasts, the plan for uh, a new show on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota channel that I'll be a part of a weekly show. So lots to talk about here in the upcoming week. Make sure you're following and subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Continuing the two-way contract conversation, we talked about Matt Ryan. Let's talk Luca Garza. So uh, Luca, of course, seems to be something of a fan favorite in Minnesota. Maybe part of it is the familiarity with him playing in the Big Ten uh, with Iowa. Of course, Big Ten Player of the Year tortured the Minnesota Golden Gophers for four, four years, really. Like, he was really good all four years at Iowa, but was phenomenal his junior and senior years. And... Um, was second round draft pick by the Pistons, played sparingly at the NBA level, and you know was okay at the G League level with Detroit. Timberwolves brought him in last year towards the beginning of the season on a two-way deal, and he actually ended up getting a little more run than expected. Believe it or not, he played less for the Wolves than he did for Detroit in his first season, but he was certainly better in Minnesota. Um, just seemed more comfortable if you watched him at all with the Pistons. It seems like, um, it always kind of seems like he's playing fast because he 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 really plays hard. He does hustle. And also because he's not very fast. And so it, it's, it's, it's almost comical in a way, but, but like, uh, you know, positive, right? Cause he plays really hard and all that's super important. Um, at the G league level last season, he was utterly dominant one. Um, I believe he won the season long MVP award at the G league level was the captain of one of the all-star teams in the G league overall. And, and it's actually kind of hard to track this down, but if you can find like on basketball reference, which is where I, I pull and probably most people pull a lot of stats. Um, they've got G league stats combined between right or excuse me, split up between regular season and showcase cup, which is provides weird sample sizes, but over on the actual G league website, believe it or not, they have where you can combine the showcase cup of the regular season, which is all effectively regular season for the G league. And across 15 games between the showcase and regular season, 15 games, you know, smallish sample, but we're not talking four games. Garza averaged 30.3 points per game on 63% shooting from the floor shot 47% on three point attempts. That's four and a half attempts per game. So, uh, like, I mean, what? I don't have the, I guess, the the raw numbers in front of you, how many attempts that is, but 4.5 attempts a game over 15 games, the quick math would tell you that's, what, 63-point attempts. So 47% on 60 attempts. Again, smallish sample, but not the tiniest sample. He, of course, also rebound, rebounded his face off, 9.8 rebounds per game in those 15 minutes or 15, 15 games. So 30, 30 points, 
Call it 10 rebounds per game, 63% from the floor, 37, 47%, 47% from three-point range. Was phenomenal at the G League. The rebound rate, uh, you know, really impressive, 19% on the defensive end, 13% on the offensive end. On the NBA side, he played in 28 games, so a lot more games um, in terms of minutes. Let's see what happened to his total minutes. So he played, um, I guess it's probably a similar amount of minutes if you talk about, uh, let's see, he played at the G League level last year. I guess he played almost 600 minutes in the G League. He played under 300 at the NBA level. So the the, the sample, even though the games are greater, is much smaller at the NBA level last year for Luka. And of course, you know, relatively limited minutes. He had a couple of big games when the Wolves had guys out due to injuries. There were blowouts and he played more. Uh, but he was really good. And and the the place where he was the most help last season was offensive rebounding. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that Luka Garza's offensive rebounding for the 22-23 Timberwolves was a revelation. Because this team, there was no excuse for how bad they were on the offensive glass. And Chris Finch actually has talked about this recently on a couple of podcasts um, about how poor they were offensive on the offensive glass because two years ago they were really good even though they were a bad defensive rebounding team in 21-22 but last season they were 27th in the league in offensive rebound rate you're talking about a team with yeah cat missed 53 games but you still have Rudy Gobert you still have Jaden McDaniels who in theory should be able to rebound the ball a little bit he struggled on both ends to do that but you want that to improve Kyle Anderson saw a bit of a dip on the glass last year but offensive rebounding is so much about effort and and reading the ball off the rim and off the glass and just knowing where to be, it is a skill, but it's also like effort doesn't require skill, right? Like just play hard and you'll find some offensive rebounds. And, and the Wolves had that issue, just not doing that last year. And Luca Garza did. Luca Garza was fantastic on the offensive glass. He had a 15.5% offensive rebound rate, which is pretty bonkers. Um, you look at the team as a whole, and obviously that's going to be first. I don't even need to... Um, like really look at it. Gobert's was a little over 12%. Garza's was 15.5% offensive rebound rate. Nobody else was above an eight and a half. And that was Nate Knight in only 38 games. So the Wolves had two guys that had take out Nate Knight. Um, well, I guess you can't because Luca played less games. So there were, there were their top three in offensive rebound rate. Garza was 15 and a half percent. Gobert 12.2%. Nate Knight 8.6%. Then it drops to Nas Reed at 6.6% offensive rebound rate. That is Luca Garza. It's, it's, Effort, it's hustle, it's offensive rebounding, it's touch and knack around the rim because he does have all that. He obviously has good touch. He was a, a phenomenal post scorer in the Big Ten. And he's actually pretty good as a rim runner in transition. He's not fast, but like he, because he has such good touch and he runs hard and he knows where to go, he's a very intelligent player. He knows where to be on the floor. He can score on rim runs and he did that pretty regularly. And transition offense, believe it or not, was a problem at times last year for the Wolves. So if Garza finds himself on the floor, he's going to get those buckets and rim runs, offensive rebounds. He's going to get fouled, run up uh, the other team's foul count, get the Wolves into the bonus. Um, the main issues, of course, are the three-point shot hasn't been consistent at the NBA level, although last year he did he did manage to shoot, um, what was it, like 36%? Yeah, 35.9% at the NBA level last year from outside the arc. So, you know, maybe there is some real improvement there if he was 47% across 60 shots in the G League and 36% at the NBA level. If that's real, like that helps quite a bit. Defensively, he's solid. He's a good post defender and he has enough size and enough strength to be able to do that. He has lost weight since his college days and he's a bit better in pick and roll coverage. 
Um, but the lateral quickness still just isn't there. The foot speed isn't quite there to be impactful on the defensive end. So that's a, that's really the the reason why you can't play him more is the opposing team will just put him in pick and roll all day. And you can play hard all you want, but athletes are going to are gonna beat you in pick and roll at the NBA level often if you're not able to keep up. And that's the biggest problem with Garza. But how good he was on the offensive glass, how good he was in transition, and how good he can be on the defensive glass um, – and also some upside there in terms of shooting the ball. He's still like, yeah, he is an older rookie. He's still, you know, he's not quite 25 yet. There's a shot. He at some point gets elevated to the roster, um, but I th- I think you'd really have to have an injury to somebody early on in the season or in training camp for that to be the case. The Wolves have him on a two-way. He's not going anywhere this season. If he gets some, some chances this year, like say Leonard Miller doesn't perform well in camp or they just want him in G League, you know, at the moment, Leonard Miller is probably going to be ahead of him on the depth chart, right? Um, he fits more what the Wolves are trying to do from a positional standpoint than Garza does. But perhaps Garza can can work his way to the rotation during the season. There are NBA caliber skills that Garza has. Everything I just listed. The limitations, though, are pretty extreme. Extremes, maybe. Uh, I would say severe limitations, right? You can't play Luka Garza 30 minutes a game. You can't play him 25 minutes a game. Can you play him 15? Maybe depending on the matchup. He has an NBA skill. He should be in the NBA, but I don't think he's a regular NBA rotation player. Um, depending on matchups, he could be. Um, and we'll see. And maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I just think that the defensive limitations are too great. Uh, but I love the effort. I love the offensive rebound. I love the touch around the rim. I love the transition offense. There's a lot to like about Luka Garza, and I'm excited that he's back with the Wolves this year in, in the role that he'll be in. All right, let's close the show today by talking about Jalen Clark and if any of the Exhibit 10 or non-roster invitees in training camp could end up um, grabbing a two-way spot away from one of the guys we're talking about today. We'll talk about all that here next. All right, let's talk about uh, Jalen Clark. This year's second draft pick by the Timberwolves, um, Jalen Clark uh, was thought by many, and we talked about this at the time, there were a lot of people that thought Jalen Clark, from a from a, a draft pundit standpoint, that thought Jalen Clark had a shot at going in the first round. There was even, I think it was Sam Vecini at The Athletic, actually had him like 13th on his big board. I think John Hollinger had him really high, um, that thought he was a lottery talent in this draft. The Wolves, ended, even with the Achilles injury, the Wolves ended up taking him with the 53rd overall pick in the draft, so their second round pick. And um, he, it, well... The Wolves didn't have a first-round pick this year, of course. They traded up to get Leonard Miller, and then with their second pick of the second round, they took Jalen Clark. He probably would have been a first-round pick, probably a late first-round pick realistically, had he not torn his Achilles late last season in college. Uh, But there's a real case to be made that he was the best defender in the nation last year at the college level, and that essentially was the argument for him going in the first round. Um, He tweeted out yesterday or posted on X or a couple days ago, maybe Sunday or Monday, He said something about getting great news and he's going to be on the court soon and he's happy the Wolves took a chance on him. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that like the Wolves haven't said anything officially. The the word had always just kind of been and I don't know that it was ever officially reported as an Achilles tear in college. They're KG about these things. They called it an Achilles injury. I think that would be the assumption. But if he's already on the court six months later, that's kind of crazy. I wouldn't expect him to play in in live game action assuming it's some sort of a tear until after the first of the year. And and I would be really surprised still, at least I would have said that before he tweeted this the other day, if he gets on an NBA court this season. So the two-way contract thing is interesting. I'm sure the Wolves just said, hey, we have an extra one this year. They didn't want to give him the, you know, the, uh, 
the Sasha and Gupta special, if you will, with the Jalen Noel, you know, Nas Reed deals where uh, he gets guaranteed money over the first couple of years, the second two, but partial guarantees, the second two years are, are completely non-guaranteed. So it's a win for everybody. That's still a little too much risk for a guy coming back from an Achilles injury, right? So the Wolves put him on a two-way deal. He'll almost certainly remain there the whole season. And then next offseason, the Wolves could elevate him to one of those partially guaranteed deals in a roster spot if his recovery goes well. But going back to my draft profile on him, he, in a lot of ways, is a smaller version of Josh Minot. And I would argue a more polished version of Josh Minot. Um, Jalen Clark did play, uh, what did he play? Three seasons, three seasons at UCLA. So he's turning 22 this year. He turns 22 actually in just a couple of weeks. So he's already older than Josh Minot. He played at a, at a bigger program than Josh Minot. And the way he plays is a bit more polished. And obviously he's not, you know, Minot's essentially a four. Jalen Clark is a six five, two. you know, really he's a, he's a shooting guard, right? He's, he's a wing. Um, and he's also, I would say he's not as athletic as Josh Minot. But I would say he's more polished. I would say he's... Um, even if he's not as athletic, I would say he's uh, he's got a really strong defensive IQ. Maybe is the best way to say it. A nose for the ball, just like Josh Minot. Um, and that's not the only comparison I want to make. But that's the type of player. If you're thinking of a like what I've said on the on the show before, do stuff player, a player with do stuff ability, if you will, steals, blocks, fifty fifty balls, uh, making the right pass on offense, getting out in transition, all those extra kind of some of them are measurable, steals, blocks, etc. But not all of them are, right? Some of those intangible type things on the court where you're, you're head manning, you're making the right pass, you're, you're getting out in transition, you're getting back in transition defensively, you're hustling up and down the court, you're getting up quickly when you fall down, like those things that don't show up in the box score. Jalen Clark does all those things. So what I wrote about him at draft time was he's a smaller, less athletic, but more polished Josh Minot. That's, that's the, the easiest if I could sum it up in one sentence. He's got a nose for the ball, both off and on the ball defensively. He's got a really good size for guarding the point of attack. Um, he probably is too small to play the three at the NBA level, you know, combined with his kind of modest athleticism. Like he's not he's not a leap out the gym guy like Josh Minot. He's not as long as Josh Minot. He's the guard version with modest athleticism. But it's really hard to undersell just how important his rebounding ability, yes, at the two guard spot, his rebounding ability and his defensive IQ are. Um, he's so good defensively. The way he guards pick and roll is NBA ready. It was NBA ready a couple of years ago. Like that's how good he is on de- on defense. Like I I really can't underscore that enough. Um, you could plug and play him, and he'd be one of the better point of attack defenders, absolutely on the roster, possibly even in the league. Um, assuming again with already modest athleticism, you worry a little about the Achilles injury. But on the flip side, he wasn't relying on his athleticism. He was just in the right place at the right time. A smart player. Um, and he plays hard. Like, how much of the battle, and I've said this a million times on the show over the last three seasons, I feel like I talked about it all the time when I was talking about D'Angelo Russell, guarding the point of attack is about basketball IQ and effort more than anything else. And it's why Jordan McLaughlin's been able to stick on an NBA roster, and I know he's not popular right now because of how he struggled late last season. But, like, Jordan McLaughlin's small, and he's not super athletic, but he's smart, and he plays hard, right? Think that, but five inches taller, six inches taller, and also just like a more physical player in general, right? Um, like the effort, the knowledge of the positioning, that's so much of the battle. And Jalen Clark has those things and the Wolves sorely lack it. You know, Mike Conley, like maybe Mike Conley is, is another good example of that, right? Like he's not, he's big-ish for a point guard, but he's not 
as big as Jalen Clark, and he's not ultra athletic. He's also like 37 now. So like that type of a player who could be a plus point of attack defender, a plus um, uh, defender of ball handlers on the perimeter, simply because of effort, good size, and an understanding positioning. And, and Jalen Clark has all those things. Again, we're not going to see him on the court anytime soon. I don't think. Um, but when we do, he has all of the above. Now, offensively, is a bit of a different story. His shot is pretty stiff and robotic. He didn't actually shoot free throws well in college, which could be a, a, a red flag in terms of, you know, how much uh, how much can these guys add to their shot, right? Like, that was always kind of the hope with Ricky Rubio is he had a good free throw percentage, so maybe he'll figure out how to shoot. That obviously didn't happen, but it's a decent indicator. He's only 66% over three years at UCLA, so that's not a great indicator um, in terms of touch. Now, I would say that he is a good cutter, um, and he actually has a has a floater, which is weird to me. Um, and around the rim, his numbers weren't bad either. So, like, in transition, you can trust him to get his shot off at the rim. Um, you're not going to have him running to the three-point line in transition. You're going to have him going to the basket. So, I think there's some hope there, mainly because he did have a bit of a floater game at UCLA. He could score around the rim. It's just weird to me that the jumper never improved and the free throw percentage is so poor. Um, I would compare some parts of his offensive game to Josh Kogi. I actually had more hope for Kogi to develop an offensive game based on what he did at Georgia Tech and and the way he shot the ball there. That obviously hasn't really happened, although he's carved out a nice niche for himself at the NBA level. Um, I actually would say he has less upside than Josh Kogi offensively, which is not great, but he could be a better defender. Seriously. Um, I believe that. I think he could be a better defender than Josh Okogi. Josh had moments, obviously, the famous James Harden block, and, and but sometimes he struggled to navigate ball screens as good as he was in isolation. And I think the ball screen navigation thing can be almost as important, if not more important, in today's NBA. And Jalen Clark can do that. Last thing I'll leave you with on Jalen Clark, his steal rate in college was bonkers, like absolutely bonkers. Um, and it doesn't all, it's not going to translate one to one. But his senior year in 30 games, he started 29 of them. So heavy minutes, almost 1,000 minutes last year. He had a 5.1% steal rate. A 5.1% steal rate. For context, the best steal rate on the Timberwolves last season was, hang on, it went away. The last, the, the best steal rate on the Wolves last season was Wendell Moore in just 29 games, 2.5%. More than twice that was Josh Minitz, or excuse me, was um, uh, Jalen Clark's steal rate at UCLA. Jordan McLaughlin had a 2.2% steal rate. Anthony Edwards a 2.1% steal rate. In college, in 30 games, nearly 1,000 minutes, Jalen Clark, Jalen Clark had a 5.1% steal rate. I'm going to quick pull up uh, last year's league leaders to give some additional context on just how crazy that is. So last year, NBA-wide, the best steal rate among qualified players who who played, you know, basically would qualify for a stat lead was Alex Caruso of the Bulls, a 3% steal rate. The best in the entire league. Jalen Clarks was 5.1% at UCLA. No, it won't be that in the NBA. It probably won't be that in the G League. That's a, that's a crazy number. Um, NBA players and G League players, believe it or not, are less sloppy with the ball. As it turns out that in college, you're going to be playing with all good athletes instead of in college where it's mostly really good. Obviously, they're good athletes, but you know what I mean? Like the context, the context of the athleticism matters, right? Um, so the point is, steal rate, though, is a lot about athleticism, yes, but even more about positioning, understanding of where you need to, you need to be and also effort level, right? Jalen Clark has that. He has the effort level. He has the intelligence. He has the understanding of where to be and when. 
All that stuff is so important, and I cannot wait to see him on NBA floor. So wishing him a speedy recovery. Of the two-way spot players, I would say that Matt Ryans is the most tenuous because he only offers the one NBA skill and doesn't provide anything else. Jalen Clark will be much more well-rounded when healthy. He was also a draft pick, which helps. Luka Garza has more to provide at the NBA level than Matt Ryan, in my opinion. So Matt Ryan's spot could be tenuous. Um, We talked a little bit about all the guys uh, on the non-roster invitee list the other day. Trevor Keels would be the most recent signing. He's the one that I think would have the inside track on taking that spot because he plays a similar position. He's a little smaller. He's really more of a big guard than he is a wing like Matt Ryan. But he's a better defender, obviously, than Matt Ryan. And he's got a bit of upside offensively. He could turn into a decent three-point shooter. He's also a good secondary playmaker, etc. And then Vic Krejci would be the other one who's again, more of a big guard than he is a wing. Um, but those two guys, I think, could have a shot at, at beating out Matt Ryan for that final two-way spot this year. And, and that's something we'll keep an eye on through camp. It'll be kind of a running theme of like, how's the battle for the final two-way spot going? Even if Matt Ryan has the contract, we've seen the Wolves be willing to recycle these, uh, to flip these spots over uh, quite a bit, especially in the last year with Tim Connolly at the helm. So we'll see We'll see how that all shakes out. All right, we'll talk about any notes from the first uh, for the start of training camp on Thursday show, and then we'll get into uh, Leonard Miller, uh, the other draft pick from this season. We'll get into last year's rookies, Josh Minot, Wendell Moore. We'll preview them on Thursday show, and then we'll continue the same on Friday. Next week, preseason kicks off. So much upcoming. A big thank you for making us your first listen every day, and a reminder that this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And you can follow on Twitter at LockdownTWolves and at BBeacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.